0: Welcome to Fast Asleep. Yeah, uh, hello. (laughs) You have been very patient, but we're here for you now and with one of your favorite authors, Alice Munro. Nobel Prize winning Canadian, Alice Munro. Also, she was the daughter of a fox slash mink slash later turkey farmer father and a school teacher mother. Alice herself has been a waitress and a tobacco picker, a library clerk and a bookstore owner. You can find Monroe Books. It's still in business in Victoria, Canada today. Um, Fortunately for us, she has spent most of her life as a writer and let's get on with this. For this episode, we bring you Monroe's Look at the Dark Side of Young Girls. Tuck in, everybody, for Day of the Butterfly. I do not remember when Myra Selah came to town, though she must have been in our class at school for two or three years, I start remembering her in the last year when her little brother Jimmy Sayla was in grade one. Jimmy Sayla was not used to going to the bathroom by himself and he would have to come to the grade six door and ask for Myra and she would take him downstairs. Well, quite often he would not get to Myra in time and there would be a big dark stain on his little button on cotton pants. And then Myra had to come and ask the teacher, please, may I take my brother home? He has wet himself. Well, that was what she said the first time. And everybody in the front seats heard her, though Myra's voice was the lightest sing-song, and there was a muted giggling which alerted the rest of the class. Our teacher, a cold gentle girl who wore glasses with thin gold rims and in the stiff solicitude of certain poses resembled a giraffe she wrote something on a piece of paper and showed it to Myra and, uh, Myra recited it uncertainly uh, my brother has had an accident please teacher Everybody knew of Jimmy Salah's shame. And at recess, if he was not being kept in, as he often was for doing something he shouldn't in school, he did not dare go out on the school grounds where the other little boys and some bigger ones were waiting to chase him and corner him against the back fence and thrash him with tree branches. He had to stay with Myra. But... At our school, there were the two sides, the boy's side and the girl's side. And it was believed that if you so much as stepped on the side that was not your own, oh, you might easily get the strap. So Jimmy could not go out on the girl's side and Myra could not go out on the boy's side. And well, no one was allowed to stay in the school. And, unless it was raining or snowing, so Myra and Jimmy spent every recess standing in the little back porch between the two sides. Perhaps they watched the baseball games, the tag and skipping and building of leaf houses in the fall and snow forts in the winter. Perhaps they did not watch at all. Whenever you happened... To look at them, their heads were slightly bent, their narrow bodies hunched in quite still. They had long, smooth, oval faces, melancholy and discreet, dark, oily, shining hair. The little boy's was long, clipped at home, and Myra's was worn in heavy braids coiled on top of her head so that she looked from a distance, as if she was wearing a turban. Too big for her. Well, over their dark eyes, the lids were never fully raised. They had a weary look, but it was more than that. They were like children in a medieval painting. They were like small figures carved of wood for worship or magic with faces smooth and aged and meekly, cryptically, uncommunicative. Most of the teachers at our school had been teaching for a long time and at recess they would disappear into the teacher's room and not bother us. But our own teacher the young woman of the fragile gold-rimmed glasses was apt to watch us from a window and sometimes come out looking brisk and uncomfortable to stop a fight among the little girls or start a running game among the big ones who had been huddled together playing truth or secrets. Well, one day, she came out and called, Girls in sixth grade, I want to talk to you. She smiled "'persuasively, earnestly, and with dreadful unease, "'showing fine gold rims around her teeth. "'She said, "'There is a girl in grade six called Myra Sela. "'She is in your grade, isn't she?' "'We we mumbled. "'But there was a coup from Gladys Healy. "'Oh, yes, Miss Darling. "'Well, why?' Is she never playing with the rest of you? Every day I see her standing in the back porch, never playing. Do you think she looks very happy standing back there? Do you think you would be very happy if you were left back there? Nobody answered. We faced Miss Darling all respectful, self-possessed, and bored with the unreality of her question. And then Gladys said, Myra can't come out with us, Miss Darling. Myra has to look after her little brother. Oh, said Miss Darling, dubiously. Well, you ought to try to be nicer to her anyway. Don't you think so, don't you? You will try to be nicer, won't you? Oh." "'I know you will. Poor Miss Darling. "'Her campaigns were so confused. "'Her persuasions turned to bleeding and uncertain pleas.' "'When she'd gone, Gladys Healy said softly, "'Oh, you will try to be nicer, won't you? I know you will.' and then drawing her lips back over her big teeth she yelled exuberantly i don't care if it rains or freezes she went through the whole verse and ended it with a spectacular twirl of her royal Stuart tartan skirt mr healy ran a dry goods and ladies wear and his daughter's leadership in our class was partly due to her flashing plaid skirts and organdy blouses and velvet jackets with brass buttons but also to her early maturing bust (laughs) and the fine brutal force of her personality and now we all began to imitate miss darling we had not paid much attention to myra before this oh But now, a game was developed. It started with saying, Let's be nice to Myra. And then we would walk up to her in formal groups of three or four and at a signal say together, Hello, Myra. Hello, Myra. And follow up with something like, what do you wash your hair in, Myra? It's so nice and shiny, Myra. Oh, she washes it in cod liver oil, don't you, Myra? She washes it in cod liver oil. Can't you smell it? Hmm. And to tell the truth, there was a smell about Myra, but it was a rotten, sweet Ish smell as of bad fruit uh, that was what the Sailors did they kept a little fruit store her father sat all day on a stool by the window with his shirt open over his swelling stomach oh, and tufts of black hair showing around his belly button he chewed garlic but if you went into the store it was Mrs. Selah who came to wait on you appearing silently between the limp print curtains hung across the back of the store. Her hair was crimped in black waves, and she smiled with her full lips held together, stretched as far as they would go. She told you the price in a little rapping voice, daring you to challenge her, and when you did not, handed you the bag of fruit, open mockery in her eyes one morning in the winter i was walking up the school hill very early a neighbor had given me a ride into town i lived about half a mile out of town on a farm and well i should not have been going to the town school at all but to a country school nearby where There were half a dozen pupils and a teacher, a little demented since her change of life, but my mother, who was an ambitious woman, had prevailed on the town trustees to accept me and my father to pay the extra tuition. And I went to school in town I was the only one in the class who carried a lunch pail and ate peanut butter sandwiches in the high bare mustard colored cloak room. The only one who had to wear rubber boots in the spring when the roads were heavy with mud. I felt a little danger on account of this but I could not tell exactly what it was. Mm. I saw Myra and Jimmy, ahead of me on the hill. They always went to school very early, sometimes so early that they had to stand outside waiting for the janitor to open the door. They were walking slowly and now and then Myra half turned around. I had often loitered in that way, wanting to walk with some important girl who was behind me and not quite daring to stop and wait. Well, now, it occurred to me that Myra might be doing this with me. I did not know what to do. I could not afford to be seen walking with her, and I did not even want to, but on the other hand, the flattery of those humble Hopeful turnings was not lost on me. A role was shaping for me that I could not resist playing. I felt a great pleasurable rush of self-conscious benevolence. Before I thought what I was doing, I called, Myra, hey Myra, wait up, I got some Cracker Jack. And I quickened my pace as she stopped. Myra waited, but she did not look at me. She waited in the withdrawn and rigid attitude with which she always met us. I mean, perhaps she thought I was playing a trick on her. Perhaps she expected me to run past and throw an empty crackerjack box in her face. I opened the box and held it out to her, and she took a little. Jimmy ducked behind her coat and would not take any when I offered the box to him. Mm, he's shy, I said reassuringly. A lot of little kids are shy like that. He'll probably grow out of it. Yes, said Myra. I have a brother, four, I said. He's awfully shy. Mm, he wasn't. Have some more Cracker Jack, I said. I used to eat Cracker Jack all the time, but I don't anymore. I think it's bad for your complexion." There was a silence. "'Do you like art?' said Myra, faintly. "'Oh, no. I like social studies and spelling and health.' "'I I like art and um, arithmetic.' Ugh, Myra could add and multiply in her head faster than anyone else in the class. I wish I was as good as you in arithmetic, I said, and I felt magnanimous. Well, I'm no good at spelling, said Myra. I make the most mistakes. I'll fail, maybe. She did not sound unhappy about this, but pleased to have such a thing to say. She kept her head turned away from me, staring at the dirty snowbanks along Victoria Street. And as she talked, She made a sound as if she was uh, wetting her lips with her tongue. Ah, you won't fail, I said. You're too good in arithmetic. What are you going to be when you grow up? She looked bewildered. I, uh, I will help my mother, she said, and work in the store. Well, I... "'I'm going to be an airplane hostess,' I said. "'Oh, oh, but don't mention it to anybody. "'I haven't told many people.' "'No, I won't,' said Myra. "'Do you read Steve Cannon in the paper?' "'Yes.' "'It was queer to think that Myra, too, read the comics, "'or that she did anything at all apart from her role at the school. "'Do you read Rip Kirby?' (laughs) "'Do you read Orphan Annie?' Do you read Betsy and the Boys? Hey, you haven't had hardly any cracker, Jack, I said. Have some. Take a whole handful. Myra looked into the box. Oh, there's a prize in there, she said. She pulled it out. It was a brooch, a little tin butterfly, painted gold, with bits of colored glass stuck onto it to look like jewels. She held it in her brown hand, smiling slightly. I said, do you like that? And Myra said, I like them blue stones. Blue stones are sapphires. (laughs) I know. My birthstone is sapphire. What's your birthstone? I, I don't know. Well, when's your birthday? Uh, July. Ah, then yours is Ruby. Hmm. I like sapphire better said Myra. I like yours. She handed me the brooch. Oh, no, you keep it, I said. Finders keepers. Myra kept holding it out as if she did not know what I meant. Finders keepers, I said. Uh, it was your cracker, Jack, said Myra, and now she seemed scared and solemn. You bought it. Well, you found it. no said Myra. Oh, go on. I said, here, I'll give it to you. And I took the brooch from her and pushed it back into her hand. (laughs) We were both surprised. We looked at each other. I flushed, but Myra did not. I realized the pledge as our fingers touched. (sighs) I was panicky, but all right. I thought, I can come early and walk with her other mornings. I can go and talk to her at recess. Why not? Why not? Myra put the brooch in her pocket. She said, I can wear it on my good dress. My good dress is blue. Mm, I knew it would be. Myra wore out her good dresses at school. Even in midwinter, among the plaid wool skirts and serge tunics, she glimmered sadly in sky blue taffeta, in dusty turquoise crepe, a grown woman's dress made over, weighted by a big bow at the V of the neck, and folding empty over Myra's narrow chest. And I was glad she had not put it on. If someone asked her where she got it and she told them, what would I say? It was the day after this, or the week after that Myra did not come to school. Often she was kept at home to help, but this time she did not come back. For a week and then two weeks, Her desk was empty. And then we had a moving day at school and Myra's books were taken out of her desk and put on a shelf in the closet. Miss Darling said, Oh, we'll find her a seat when she comes back. And she stopped calling Myra's name when she took attendance. Jimmy, Selah, did not come to school either, having no one to take him to the bathroom in the fourth week or the fifth that myra had been away gladys healy came to school and said do you know what myra sela is sick in the hospital it was true gladys healy had an aunt who was a nurse gladys put her hand up in the middle of spelling and told miss darling i thought you might like to know she said oh yes said miss darling I do know. What has she got? We said to Gladys. And Gladys said, a or something. And she has blood transfusions. She said to Miss Darling, my aunt is a nurse. So Miss Darling had the whole class write Myra a letter in which everybody said, dear Myra, we are all writing you a letter. We hope you will soon be better and be back at school yours truly. And Miss Darling said, I've thought of something. Who would like to go up to the hospital and visit Myra on the 20th of March for a birthday party? And I said, her birthday's in July. I know, said Miss Darling. It's the 20th of July. So this year, well, she could have it on the 20th of March because she's sick. But her birthday is in July, because she's sick, said Miss Darling with a warning shrillness. The cook at the hospital would make a cake, and you could all give a little present, 25 cents or so. It would have to be between two and four, because that's visiting hours, and we couldn't all go. It would be too many, so who wants to go and who wants to stay here and do supplementary reading? Well, we all put up our hands. Miss Darling got out the spelling records and picked out the first 15. It was uh, 12 girls and three boys. And then, well, the three boys did not want to go, so she picked out the next three girls. And I do not know when it was, but I think it was probably at this moment that the birthday party of Myra Sela became fashionable. Perhaps it was because Gladys Healy had an aunt who was a nurse. Perhaps it was the excitement of sickness and hospitals. Or simply the fact that Myra was so entirely, impressively set free of all the rules and conditions of our lives. We began to talk of her as if she were something we owned and her party became a cause. With womanly heaviness, we discussed it at recess and decided that 25 cents was too low. We all went up to the hospital on a sunny afternoon when the snow was melting, carrying our presents, and a nurse led us upstairs, single file and down a hall, past half-closed doors and dim conversations. She and Miss Darling kept saying, shh, shh, but we were already going on tiptoe anyway. Our hospital demeanor was perfect. At this small country hospital, there was no children's ward, and Myra was not really a child. They had put her in with two gray old women. A nurse was putting screens around them as we came in. Myra was sitting up in bed in a bulky, stiff hospital gown. Her hair was down, the long braids falling over her shoulders and down the coverlet. But her face was the same, always the same. She had been told something about the party, Miss Darling said, so the surprise would not upset her, but, well... It seemed she had not believed or had not understood what it was. She watched us as she used to watch in the school grounds when we played. Well, here we are, said Miss Darling. Here we are. And we said, Happy birthday, Myra. Hello, Myra. Happy birthday. And Myra said... My birthday is in July. Her voice was lighter than ever, drifting, mm, expressionless. Ah, never mind when it is, really, said Miss Darling. Pretend it's now. How old are you, Myra? Eleven, Myra said. In July. And then we all took off our coats and emerged in our party dresses and laid our presents in their pale, flowery wrappings on Myra's bed. Some of our mothers had made immense complicated bows of fine satin ribbon. Some of them had even taped on little bouquets of imitation roses and lilies of the valley. Here, Myra, we said. Here, happy birthday. Myra did not look at us, but at the ribbons, Pink and blue and speckled with silver And the miniature bouquets ah uh, They pleased her As the butterfly had done An innocent look came into her face A partial, private smile Open them, Myra, said Miss Darling They're for you Myra gathered the presents around her Fingering them with this smile and a cautious realization an unexpected pride. She said, Saturday, I'm going to London to St. Joseph's Hospital. Ah, that's where my mother was at, somebody said. We went and saw her. They've got all nuns there. My father's sister is a nun, said Myra calmly. She began to unwrap the presents with an air that not even Gladys could have bettered. Folding the tissue paper and the ribbons and drawing out books and puzzles and cutouts as if they were all prizes she had won. Miss Darling said that maybe she should say thank you and the person's name with every gift she opened, to make sure she knew whom it was from. And so Myra said, Thank you, Mary Louise. Thank you, Carol. And when she came to mind, she said, Thank you, Helen. Everyone explained their presence to her, and there was talking and excitement and a little gaiety, which Myra presided over, though she was not gay. A cake was brought in with Happy Birthday Myra written on it, pink on white, and eleven candles. Miss Darling lit the candles, and we all sang Happy Birthday to You and cried, Make a wish, Myra, make a wish! And Myra blew them out, and then we all had cake and strawberry ice cream. At four o'clock, a buzzer sounded, and the nurse took out what was left of the cake and the dirty dishes, and we put on our coats to go home. Everybody said, goodbye, Myra, and Myra sat in the bed watching us go, her back straight, not supported by any pillow, her hands resting on the gifts. But at the door, I heard her call. She called, Helen. Only a couple of the others heard. Miss Darling did not hear. She'd gone out ahead. I went back to the bed. Myra said, (sighs) I got too many things. You take something. What? I said. It's for your birthday. You always get a lot at a birthday. Well, you take something, Myra said. She picked up a leatherette case with a mirror in it, a comb and a nail file and a natural lipstick and a small handkerchief edged with gold thread. I had noticed it before. You take that, she said. Don't you want it? You take it. She put it into my hand. Our fingers touched again. When I come back from London... Myra said. You can come and play at my place after school. Oh, okay, I said. Outside the hospital window, there was a clear carrying sound of somebody playing in the street, maybe chasing with the last snowballs of the year. Now, this sound made Myra her triumph and her bounty and most of all her future in which she had found this place for me turn shadowy turn dark all the presents on the bed the folded paper and ribbons those guilt tinged offerings had passed into this shadow they were no longer innocent objects to be touched exchanged accepted without danger I didn't want to take the case now but I could not think of how to get out of it and what lie to tell I'll, I'll just give it away I thought I won't ever play with it I would let my little brother pull it apart the nurse came back carrying a glass of chocolate milk. What's the matter? Didn't you hear the buzzer? And so uh, I was released, set free by the barriers which now closed about Myra, her unknown, exalted, ether-smelling hospital world, and by the treachery of my own heart. Well, thank you, I said. Thank you for the thing goodbye did Myra ever say goodbye Mm, not likely she sat in her high bed her delicate brown neck rising out of a hospital gown too big for her her brown carved face immune to treachery her offering perhaps already forgotten prepared to be set apart for legendary uses as she was, even in the back porch at school. Good night.